All right, well, good morning. We, we want to say uh, just a really special welcome to any, any of you uh, today who might be new, who might have joined us either online or in person here for the first time. Uh, we are very grateful to have you here. We consider it um, just a real honor to, uh, to be with you this Sunday. So, uh, let's see, do we have the, there we go, ain't nobody got time for that. That's the, <laughs> that's the name of our uh, message here today. We ain't got time for that. We just, sometimes there's things in life that we don't have time for, and we are going to be looking at that today in chapter 6 here of Nehemiah. And remember, all of these books, all of the books of the, of the Old Testament uh, are so relevant to our lives. We can well, what we need to do as we're, as we're looking at these, as we're reading these, as we're uh, st- spending time, which I know you are, in study during the week in these things, recognize that this has application to our lives. It has application to us every day. It's not just some old story about some old wall that got built. It has present-day applications for every one of us. All right. So, chapter 6, verse 1. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at the Hakephrim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm and I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. So, Nehemiah and his friends, they've been building this wall. Remember, this started uh, with Nehemiah just being told about the condition of the wall around Jerusalem. We've talked a little bit about this, but, but a wall represents security. It represents something that is a defensive weapon to keep things out. Uh, the, 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 the people of, of uh, Israel, the people of Jerusalem, have been uh, taken captive by Babylon. The, the temple was destroyed. The walls were torn down. The gates were burned. And this is the condition of this whole place. And now Nehemiah and, and some of the exiles are looking at trying to come back into the land and to reestablish their, their place there. So Nehemiah becomes aware of this need for security around Jerusalem, around his home, and he's, he's burdened with this. This, is, this weighs heavily on Nehemiah's heart that, that this needs to be done. And again, when, when we don't have an outward security, when there's no security, there's nothing that is valuable, there's nothing that is uh, precious that can be kept inside of this because the enemy has access at any time into this. So what we see first is that, is that Nehemiah, he repents, he, he prays, he repents, and, and he, he, uh, he fasts, and he acknowledges that the rebellion that caused the, 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 these walls to come down and Jerusalem to be destroyed were, were caused by rebellion within God's people, that God's people did not listen to and did not follow what God had had for them, and therefore God allowed and, 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 sent, and allowed the Babylonians to overtake them. Uh, to, to teach them and to show them that, uh, that, that, that it's, it's, it's absolutely, uh, it's so important that we keep God first. God grants favor to him with the king, and God ordains the work of, of Nehemiah. Remember, he's the cupbearer, so, so he's already, he already has position, and he has, uh, 
he, he has a forum with the king of Babylon. And his job, basically, is whenever there's a cup brought in of wine or whatever, Nehemiah has to drink it, and, and everybody sits back and waits and sees if Nehemiah drops dead or not. And if he doesn't drop dead, then they go ahead and they drink the wine as well. He's the cupbearer for the king. But the king cares for him, and, and, and uh, Nehemiah has been in the presence of the king, and, and the king has favor to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah one day is just downtrodden, and which, was, which this king was known, the king of Babylon was known for, for, for killing people who came into his presence in, in, in a sad way. But Nehemiah came, and, and, and God gave him favor, and he allowed him to go and to, uh, to, to begin this work to rebuild this wall. And immediately what we see is these three guys show up right off the bat, Sanballat, um, Tobiah, and Geshem. Remember those three names. Samalot, Tobiah, Geshem. They show up and they begin to oppose the work of God. The enemy is relentless. The, the enemy is tireless. The, real, the enemy is always going to come against you. When you begin to try to rebuild some things or build some things in your life and you begin to put up these defensive walls and you try to rebuild in your life a structure that will defend you and will keep the enemy out, there's always going to be opposition to that. And, and so Nehemiah and his friends immediately, they, they, they see, they get this, they, these guys rise up against them and they, uh, they taunt them, which is the first way that they go. They, they go, oh, do you guys really think you're going to do this? You really think you can carry this, uh, pull this off? You think that you're actually capable of doing this? They taunt them. And then they actually begin to taunt the work that they're doing. Oh, the, the, the wall that you're building, if a fox jumped on that wall, it would just crumble. It would just fall down. The things that you're doing have absolutely no merit or value. Now, listen to the voice of the enemy. It's important that we begin to understand and hear and, and know when we're hearing the voice of the enemy. It's, it's so important for God's people, for you and I, to have discernment in these areas to know what is the truth and what's not the truth. And this enemy is, is coming and begins to taunt them and begin to tell them, oh, who do you think you are? Oh, you think you can do some kind of a work like this? Oh, do you think that you guys will, will offer sacrifice? you think you'll actually do this? No. If a fox jumps on this wall that you're building, it's going to come down. So the work, you know, that, that we begin to do, the, 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 this taunt, and, and it comes always uh, from the enemy. It's, it's always the voice of the enemy. See, God is never going to taunt in that manner. He's never going to, but, but the enemy, he's the accuser the accuser of the brethren. He literally, his, word, his name means the Satan. It, it, it means literally like the prosecuting attorney. It means like he's coming against us with charges and he has legal authority in some of these realms to do this unless we have this defensive wall. The ultimate defensive wall is Christ and our relationship to Jesus. It's the first, it's the foundational stone. It's the cornerstone that everything has to be built on. And then also God's word in our lives and the application of God's word in our lives are absolutely crucial for this. Then they accuse them of, of rebellion against the king. They begin to, to, to make it known that, that these guys are just rebelling against the king of Babylon. And, you know, to rebel against the king of Babylon means instant death for Nehemiah and his friends. And they begin to say, spread these rumors, right? They begin to gossip and say, oh, you're, you guys are just rebelling against the king. You have this whole plan. Uh, they threaten them also with bodily harm. Today, actually, is, is um, and, and we need to take a minute at the end here and, and try to remember to pray for this. But today is, is, is a Sunday where we remember the persecuted church around the world, right? Today is, is a day where we are supposed to remember our persecuted brothers and sisters who do today stand in the way of physical bodily harm for their faith. 
who, who literally, in, in attending maybe an underground church today in maybe China or Iran or North Korea or um, uh, Nigeria, some of these places where, where, where it's not, they're not free to meet like we are today. If they meet anyway. And as a matter of fact, the fastest growing church in the world today, people believe is in Iran right now, that the church is growing faster in Iran than anywhere else in the world right now. And so people today, even like here, the enemy comes and he comes with literal bodily harm at times and, and to stop us and to, and to have this work to shut down. We see that, that, that uh, Nehemiah's own people, the Jewish people, try to shut him down. Ten times they come to him and say, look, look, they're going to kill you. They're, 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 this is bad. You got to quit doing what you're doing. Stop building on this wall and just come out with us and we'll just have life a, as usual. Let's just, let's just live in this way where we just kind of, we don't really do anything meaningful. We're not really doing anything purposeful. We're just kind of, we're just going to stay safe. Let's just stay safe. And there's a real temptation for Christians today in this world to just stay safe, to not build anything, to not stand for anything, to not, to not stand up for God's truth or begin to, to, uh, uh, to, to, uh, to, to speak God's word into the culture around us. We want to just get safe. We want to just kind of back off. But you see, there's a, there's a real call for God's people to be proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, not sharing the gospel. I, I, I think we need to quit that idea of sharing gospel. You see, sharing the gospel has this idea. It's like, hey, if, uh, you know, I got a dozen donuts up here, and boy, I'd like to share them, except, you know what, I know that Corey's on a little bit of a diet right now, so I'm actually not going to actually even, I'm not even, I don't know if he is or not, but, but, but I'm not actually going to offer Corey a, a, a donut right now, because I, I know he's, he's, he's on a diet, and so I'm not going to share with him. I'm not going to offer that. But you see, we're not called to just share the gospel. We're, we're called to proclaim the gospel. We're called, we're called to be a people who just go out and say it. Just go out and say it. And then let God take the seeds of what happens with that. And it's God that causes those things to grow. We are supposed to be proclaimers of the gospel. And sometimes I think in, in the idea of sharing, sometimes we're just a little bit too much like these guys. Let's just go back here and let's just be safe. Let's just go out here. They're going to kill you out there. They're going to taunt you. They're, they're going to they're, they're come against you. You see, but God and but Nehemiah knew that it was God who was qualifying them, and it was God who was anointing them for this work. And because of that, Nehemiah stays steadfast in the midst of all of this struggle, in the midst of all of this stuff that is coming against him. And he understands this: if if God is for us, then who could ever be against us? Seriously, if God is for us, who could ever be against us? Like I said this morning, we fight from a place of victory. We're not, we're not a people who are fighting for a victory. We're fighting from a place of victory. It's already settled. Jesus is one. He's victorious. And regardless of what's happening in the world around us, how difficult it is, how scary it is, and there's a lot of stuff that's going on in the world today. I mean, we're, we're literally probably closer to World War III than we've ever been that I, I know of. It, it's been decades, I mean, since there's been such unrest in the world like there is today. But you know what? Here's what I love about the gospel, about the Great Commission. It changes nothing for us. It changes nothing for us. Regardless of what's going on in the world today, we're supposed to make disciples. That's it. If it's good, if everything's comfy, if everything is great, we make disciples. If everything is difficult, if everything is hard, if there's persecution and people are coming against us, we're supposed to make disciples. This is it. We're supposed to proclaim the gospel and make disciples. It's not horribly complicated. 
See, but they knew that God was qualifying them for this work. If he is for us, who can be against us? And they took up arms to defend themselves, and they went to work. And they went to work. And like we talked about, in one hand they had a trowel, in one hand they had a sword. And I talked about this. I think it's a really important part of this thing. The trowel and the sword, these are important things. They're, they're a balance within the church and within the life of the believer. If you put the trowel down, you'll only have the sword. If you only have the sword, that means you've ceased to work. If you've ceased to work, now all you have is God's just this sword. And, and you'll wield it. You'll be chopping people's ears off, most likely, like Peter was. And Jesus is going to have to run around putting people's ears back on because all you got is a sword. You got nothing that you're building with. It's that building that keeps us balanced. It's what building what keeps the church and the individual balanced with that. If we put down, uh, so if we put down that, all we've got is, is, is judgment and self-righteousness and all kinds of things start to stem out of just holding the sword. But if we put the sword down, now we don't have the truth. We don't have the sword of the spirit that penetrates, that, that goes between soul and spirit, that penetrates into a deep place. And all we have now is the trowel. And now all we have is good works. And you see, good works is not what we're really called to do. Works are important, and it's an important part of what we do, but we're called to be rooted into Christ and to be doing and operating in the way that he's operating in this world. You put down that, you put down one, you've only got the other. If you've only got the other, you're gonna, if you've only got now the, the trowel, you're going to move away from the truth. You're going to move away from the truth, and it's just going to be like a social justice movement kind of a thing. We need both of these things to keep us balanced. What we see, too, then, they took up their arms. They defended themselves. They went to work. They were praying for one another. They were, they were watching over one another. They were, they, while one of them was building, another one was, was, was working, and, and, and one was watching, and one was defending it's important. It's important that we're in prayer for one another. It's an important thing that we are in prayer for the leaders and, and not just here, but, but in our whole community, right? We want to be praying. We're supposed to, we're people who are called to pray for the leadership. Ultimately, what we see is that an internal struggle brought the, the building of the wall to a halt. It, it wasn't an external thing. The external things unified them, but when there was an internal thing, it divided them and it shut down, as far as we can see in chapter 5, the building of the wall, until it was resolved, until it was, until it was dealt with, that people within God's family were taking advantage of other people uh, who had left their farms, who had left their work, and, and were now finding themselves in need, and people were charging interest and, taking, and capitalizing on that. And, and so we talked about just the importance of, of, of making sure that uh, we're following God's ways, that we're helping to provide for one another, we're providing for needs for one another. So now the enemy sees that basically the wall is basically complete, and now the enemy is upping his game, right? Four times he comes, he's like, hey, could we just meet? How about we just meet out there in the plain of Ono? And if, any of the, if the enemy ever comes to you and he says to you, hey, let's meet in the plain of Ono, say, oh, no, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, no, I don't. Oh, no, we're not going there, right? I ain't got time for that, okay? I don't have time for that. I've got my hand to the plow here. I'm moving forward. I'm doing the thing that God has ordained and the thing that God is calling me to do, and I don't have time to go out there and meet with the enemy on his terms. Never, ever, ever meet with the enemy on his terms. You never meet the enemy on his terms. You always make sure that you have, that you keep that, and, and, and to go and to meet the enemy at this place is to stop 
building the wall. Too many times, too many Christians, too many churches allow themselves to start to get distracted by the things of the world, right? We, we start to get worried. We start to get upset. We start to think, oh my gosh, it's, it's all falling apart out there. And, and then now what happens is that the enemy has us, he has us fixated on this, he has us distracted in this, and we forget about the work that God has called us to. We forget about the building work because we're all distracted over here, all right? I remind us again, and I'm going to keep reminding us, uh, and, and, I'm, and, and please don't hear me say this, I am not minimizing the importance of leadership and politics in our culture today. It's important, but we will not elect a savior, okay? So when God's people are having more political conversations than we're having spiritual conversations, there's a problem. There's a disconnect there. There's a misunderstanding of what would actually bring the change in the world that we really want to see. The thing that will bring the change in the world that you and I really want to see in this world is people coming to know Jesus, giving their lives over to Jesus, becoming a new creation, being transformed by the, in the, from the inside out. That is what's going to make a difference. Our political stuff, our political stuff is a reflection of who we are, and our political stuff is a reflection of how lost we are as a culture today. The reason you look at our, our political thing, and I don't know about you, but I look at it, and I'm like, oh my, I cannot believe we're here. I literally cannot believe that it's just as ridiculous as it is right now, but it's, it's a reflection of where we're at as a nation, and the way that we get out of that is by making disciples. It's by making disciples. It's about recognizing that it's the gospel that changes the world. It's the gospel that changed everything about Western culture. It's the gospel that changed everything. It's always changed everything. It is the game changer, and it is the thing that we need to be most about. Okay. Sometimes when I get like that, I start saying, I'll quit preaching now, but I can't because I'm still preaching. That's usually in a conversation. The enemy never quits. Uh, you'll lose if you go face him on his terms. He's a deceiver. He's good at it. He's been doing it for a long time. Never, ever, ever think that you're smart enough or strong enough or able to just outwit or outmaneuver or anything like that. You will not. You will lose. You'll lose on his terms. If you go out in your own strength and your own thing. I saw this one thing on one time on Facebook, and it said this. It said, uh, it said something about, like, uh, you know, Satan said... I'm coming, I'm bringing you a storm or something. And I told him, I am the storm. And I'm like, no, you aren't, man. You're going to get your hiney kicked is what's going to happen to you right now because this is not the reality. We, we cannot fight him. Even angels uh, don't fight the enemy head on. They, uh, they do it in the name of Jesus and in the strength of Christ, right? But Sam Balat, he wants to be really chummy now, right? And, and, and this is the guy who's involved every single time, if you notice that. We've got, we've got Sam Ballot, we've got, uh, we've got Tobiah, and we've got Geshem, but there's never a place in here where it's only, where, where Sam Balat isn't involved. He's always involved. He's always bringing this opposition. He's always doing this. And, and I want to encourage you here today, I don't know if this applies to you, maybe it's going to apply to somebody, but stop trying to make people who don't like you, like you. Sometimes there are just people who are not going to like you. And it's not going to matter what you do. They're still not going to like you. They're still going to be opposed to you. They're not going to just jump over on your team. Now, I'm not saying be a jerk to them, but I am saying quit. Don't have that need within you to just be at, you know, just, just chummy with everybody. 
Because if we live a life in Christ Jesus, we will face persecution. We will face opposition. And, and not everybody is going to be chummy with you. Not because of things you do. You just can't personalize it, you know? As a pastor, sometimes I go out in the community and stuff, and I tell people I'm a pastor, and they're like, <laughs> they're done with me. I've never done anything to them. But you see, there's an offense, and that offense is the gospel. The offense is Jesus. And they're offended at God. And, and, and so sometimes with this, you just got to be all right with that. Don't stop the work. Don't get distracted. We need to make sure that that's the truth, both individually and as a church. Um, goes on here. All right, let's, let's keep going here. Four times. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant with me, an open letter in his hand, and it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you, the Jews, intend to rebel. That is why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king, and you also have set up prophets to proclaim uh, concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports, so now come and let us take counsel together." Then I sent to him, saying, No such thing as you say has been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they, are all, they, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. So now here they come, the fifth time. The first four times haven't worked. The fifth time now, they bring this thing, and now they're back to this idea of you're just rebelling against the king. And, and, and so you better get over here and talk to us. You better work this out with us right now because if you don't work it out with us, then it's going to be known to the king that this is actually what your plan is and, um, and then you're going to be in big trouble, right? But, but I, love, I love Nehemiah's thing. He's like, you're crazy. You're just crazy. You're making that whole thing up. He knows that, 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 that the truth is going to prevail in this and he doesn't allow the fear of what could be or what might be See, sometimes the fear of, of just what could be is enough to just get us to stop. It's, get, it's enough to take our hands off of the work, right? I don't know about you, but sometimes we get to spin in a lot of head games about things that aren't really even happening, right? You can start to spin these head games and be like, oh, man, that guy says that, then I'm going to say that, and I'm going to say that, you know, just get all jacked up and stuff like that, whatever. It, it, it's this picture that, that, that like, like when it's true and we know we're sitting in the truth and we're sitting in that place, we can sit in there securely, and we can know that, that, that these charges, these accusations aren't going to hold water. Nehemiah understands this. He understands that he um, is operating in the favor of the Lord, and so he just keeps on pressing on. And what does he do? What does he do? He, he goes to prayer, and he says, God, now, oh God, strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands. God, who's he trusting for the strength? God, Right? not us, right? We don't have it. We don't have the ability. Remember, it's Jesus who is building his church. And he says that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's him who's building his church. It's not me. It's not you. He is the one who is building his church. Finishing sometimes can be the most difficult, can't it? I don't know about you. Ask my wife about me and projects, okay? Because I get like 97% done. And then I'm off to the next one. I'm like, oh, let's, I could do this. Like, how about you finish this up? <laughs> how about you, you know, I'm like, it's 97%. It's good, right? Finishing sometimes is really a difficult thing for us. 
this is important. It's important that this is finished. Remember, the gates, all the, of the wall is up now, but the doors haven't been hung yet. There's just a little bit still left to do. But sometimes finishing is really the most difficult thing, right? We've got to understand this. Take up the plow, Luke 9.62. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hands to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Is that God's people are pressing on, and perseverance and pressing on is part of, it's, it, it signifies God's people and what they're doing. Luke 14, 28 through 30, for if you, for which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So we need to be finishers, God's people. And and the only way for us to be finishers is for us to be in prayer asking God to strengthen our hands. Strengthen my hands, God, for this work that you've got in front of me. Strengthen my hands so that I can get through this. Strengthen my hands here in my family, in my marriage, in my church, in my community. Strengthen our hands, God, so that we can have the strength to finish this work that you've given us. So what a great prayer. See, and this is the way that God operates. God operates in this. this. When we go to God for prayer, he's not going to get you probably enough strength to, to, uh, you know, what what I always want is I want all the strength. I want it right now, all of it, up front, right now, so that I can finish, right? But God is going to give us enough strength to keep going. He's going to give us enough strength to to take another step, enough strength to put another stone on. And we keep asking, and we keep connecting with him, and he keeps giving us strength. Isaiah 40, 27 through 31. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What strength are you walking in? I don't know about you, but sometimes for me, when it gets really hard, that's the time I struggle. That's the time that I struggle to try to just push through it and get through it into my strength, and it never works. It never works. Our strength comes from the Lord. Our strength comes from Him and, and, and that connection that we keep with Him. Oh, God, strengthen my hands. Verse 10, now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away, and what, such, what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me, because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose, he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember, Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So then, next thing is that now there's a false prophet that enters into the thing. 
And, and, and it comes in, in the guise of somewhat of a, of, a, of a religious escape, of a religious hiding place even. Uh, to Let's go into the temple and let's close ourselves in there. And Nehemiah's like, no, I can't do that. What kind of a guy? I can't do that because I'm not a priest. And this is laid out who has access and who can be in there and who can't. See, there are many times where leaders are tempted to, to go and to do something before the Lord, without the Lord's uh, permission, without. We see it with Saul. He goes and offers sacrifice uh, when it wasn't his place. He needed to wait. He needed to wait on the priest, and he didn't. He went and did it himself because it seemed like the right thing that needed to get done at the time. Here, there's this temptation for fear to cause Nehemiah to go and to hide himself and to do something that's really against God's word. How do you know this is a false prophet? Because he's, he's advised Nehemiah to do something that is in contradiction to the word of God. A true prophet is never going to do that. A true prophet isn't going to be wrong either. And I want to tell you that today, there's so many of these voices out there that are prophetic voices, and you've got to be careful with this. You've got to be careful when listening to this because uh, just about anybody with a YouTube ex uh, <laughs> subscription and channel can say whatever they want today. It's important to understand, and it has to align with God's word. There are some that even begin to, to, to speak some things that are in contradiction, but they begin to say, oh, but we're a prophet of God, therefore what we're saying is kind of online with scripture or has the same uh, authority as scripture. It does not, ever. It doesn't. It has to be in agreement with God's word, and we have to be careful with that. Never tempted to do something that is un unbiblical. Fear is a weapon of the enemy, and, and fear causes our walls to fall down regularly. See, fear is not just an external thing. It's a, both an external and an internal thing. We're internally afraid of what is out there or what could happen, and fear can, can begin to, uh, it equates to sin. That's what he says right here. He says, to make me afraid that I might sin. And so much sin in our lives has its origins in fear. People who fight a lot are generally fearful. They're fearful and they feel like they have to prove and show. People who can't be outside of a relationship are fearful that they're going to be alone. People who are greedy are fearful that there's not going to be enough. You see, this fear, sometimes it begins to drive us into places and, and, and it, it, it takes hold of our lives in a way that it's never supposed to. This is why the Bible says this, that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You see, when we get right with that, and we talked about this a little, but I'm going to keep going over it. When we get right with who we're supposed to be afraid of, in a sense, or who we're supposed to have awe and respect for in this high sense, which is God, when we recognize that this is the creator of the world, this is the guy who never gets weak or weary, he never gets tired, um, he, you know, he's the everlasting God, he's the creator of all things. When I get right with that, and I understand that, then that dispels all of the other fears and phobias that I have in my life. Why? Because he's greater than all of those things. He's able to break in. He's able to, to do these things. He's able to bring change in my life where, where I'm not able. So therefore, I don't have to be afraid of those other things. But you see, if those things are, have a louder voice in my life than, than my understanding or my fear of the Lord, my awe and respect of this God, then those things will begin to drive my life, and they'll begin to drive my life in unhealthy ways. 
And I'll cope in unhealthy ways within my life. See, fear is a weapon of the enemy. And fear leads many leaders into situations that tarnish their influence. And that's exactly where Nehemiah is at at this point. He's like, man, you know, they'll, they'll just, uh, they'll give me a bad name in order to taunt me. And then he says, remember them, God. Remember what they're doing. God doesn't need to remember again, but Nehemiah is just reminding God, like he's just saying, look, will you just remember, act in accordance to your promises, God, on my behalf. These people are coming against me. And instead of coming back against them, he's, he's taking a very defensive view of this whole thing. He's not attacking. He's not lashing back. He's allowing God to be judge, jury, judge and jury. He's letting go of that. Today, if, if maybe there's something in your life that, that you've been holding on to, something that you have uh, struggled with forgiveness with, something where you're, you're still wanting to be judge, jury, and executioner, I would encourage you through forgiveness to let go of that and let God take his rightful place in that. Let God understand that God is just. He's perfectly just. And one day, he is going to write the books. And when he does that... Perfect justice is going to be done by the only one who can really execute perfect justice. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elul, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. God just turned the tables of fear onto the enemy, away from Nehemiah, right? Why? Well, because they understood and they knew that this ragtag bunch of people that were actually doing this thing weren't qualified, weren't really able to do it. It wasn't just this massive crew of stonemasons. It was, uh, it was uh, merchants. It was uh, cupbearers to the king. It was uh, perfumers. It was goldsmiths. It was a guy and his daughters. It was this hodgepodge group of people, this ragamuffin kind of group that he had put together. And they knew when this wall was getting done that it was God that was doing it. See, and God is, that's the way that God is working in our lives. You see, we're always thinking strength-based, but God isn't working strength-based. His strength is perfected in your weakness. And there are many things in our lives and many opportunities for ministry and things that God has for you that, uh, that you're afraid of today, that you're afraid to step into that thing, but you've got to recognize who this God is and how able he is, that he has a ministry for you, that he has things for you to do. He has things that he wants you to accomplish, and he's going to be the one who accomplishes it. He's going to be the one to do that. I'll share with you something. I mean, just from my own personal testimony, I used to be a total, I had a phobia of public speaking. I couldn't do it. I couldn't. I would almost pass out. Like the whole thing would come into a thing like this, about this big around, everything else would be black, and I would hyperventilate, and I would, it it was awful. But in my weakness, somehow God turned it into something else. He started to work that into strength. Um, but, but it's really vulnerable and really hard thing to do to start to work in some of your weaknesses and allow God to bring strength to that. But it's God who's going to bring that strength to it. See, there's an unqualified group of people. It's just like the 12 disciples. They were just a bunch of dudes. They were messed up. 
They had all kinds of problems. Imagine. I mean, you know, I mean, Jesus stayed up like all night picking them, and the next day they're like, all right, I'm the best. I'm the greatest. No, I'm not. You're, you're not the greatest. I am. I'm the best. I bet Jesus was just like, oh my gosh. See, it's obvious that God is doing this work. And this is the way that God is working in this world. 1 Corinthians 1, 19 through 21. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. God made this, this thing that, that is, doesn't make sense a lot of times. It's this thing that, 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 that God has done that confounds the wisdom of the wise, that turns it all upside down and backwards on the whole world, and, and it just doesn't make sense. But this is the way that God is doing this. And when God is saving somebody like me, we know it was God's work. We know that it was God who intervened in that thing. Here's the last thing. You have a work that is ordained and is commissioned by God, by a God who loves you, by a God who knows you, by, by a God who, who has, who, uh, who wants to take your life and he wants to tell others about it. He wants to take your hard things and he wants to make it a testimony to who he is. He, he wants to take you though and, and, and he wants you to be a builder he wants you to join in what he's doing in this world to bring, in effect, change in the world around us. It's this amazing opportunity that we have. See, we all are dying to have a cause to be a part of, and this cause is the greatest cause ever, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to go out there and to tell those who are lost how to find some light. How to, how, to, how to find some bread, right? And that's what they say about the gospel, right? It's just, it's just two beggars, one telling the other one where they can find some bread. This is the heart of the gospel. And God has a, a, an ordained, commissioned work for you to do that I believe only you can do. See, because you're the only one that has the relationships that you have. You're the only one who has the testimony and the history that you have. You're the only one that, that has an influence in your sphere of influence. I don't, but you do. And God wants you to be uh, a part of what he's doing in this world. And there's an enemy that wants to keep you from it. There's an enemy that wants to keep you from it. And he'll use all kinds of means and tactics, and he'll never quit. He'll never relent. But you see, this is why God's people are called to persevere, to keep going, to recognize, to believe, and to trust. And maybe sometimes, maybe sometimes we just need to let the gospel soak in again. Let the gospel. Sometimes we go a long time, or we've maybe been a believer a long time, and we, we start to forget what it was like when the gospel first soaked in how life-changing that was and what that's done in our lives and what that can do in the lives of others. And so when we look out into the world and we see just the craziness of what's going on, we're not to be afraid. We're to remember that we are serving a God who's, who's already won this thing. When, when, when your calling is before you, when your commissioning is before you, don't be afraid. There's a God who's called you. And if he's called you, he's going to see you through it. And he's going to qualify you. 
and he's going to strengthen you. All you need to do is keep connecting to him, keep asking him, strengthen my hand, oh God. Lord, thank you. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for all that you are doing. Lord, we praise you, and we just consider you um, and understand you to be all-powerful, all-good, that there's none greater than you, that there's no struggle that's in this place that is beyond you, that your, your promises and, and who you are is greater than any difficulty that we could ever go through here in this world. And so, Lord, we just commit our lives and ourselves to you, Lord. We just want to live into this commissioning, this thing that you're calling us to. We want to know what it is, Lord. And, and if we know what it is, Lord, we're asking that you give us courage to step into it. Help us, Lord, that we wouldn't fall prey to the fear tactics of the enemy, that we wouldn't believe the lies, that we wouldn't believe that, 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 that we are insignificant for the work or that the work that we're doing is just um, has no real value or no merit to it. Help us, Lord, to, uh, to just walk close with you, to love you, uh, to serve you with the whole of our being. We give you praise and we give you glory. We give you honor. And Lord, again, I ask that you would impress on every heart here Every, every person here, who, who it is that you have for them to share with, who it is that you have for them to, to love on and to serve this day, that your kingdom might be extended, that more might come in. Help us, Lord, that we might be a church that makes heaven a more crowded place. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.